Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 28th. Where to begin? It was another fantastic weekend of championship action across the professional tennis world, whether it was Annette Conteve, who was simply outstanding on her way to the title in Ostrava. How about Hubi Hercots, who becomes the first player since Guy Forget in 1991 to win both a singles and doubles title at the same event without dropping a set? Of course, you had a bunch of other fantastic performances throughout the weekend as well. Stefan Kozlov back into the winner's circle at the challenger level for the first time since 2017. Yuri Lahechka, the talented 19-year-old player from the Czech Republic, earning another challenger title this season. Bunch of standout performances at the ITF level as well. Just overall, a fantastic weekend of tennis for us to discuss on today's show. Just going to be me steering the ship, and I do apologize for the lack of episode yesterday. Some of you may have seen on Twitter was a dramatic semifinal victory for yours truly in the Indie Tennis League semifinals over Cracked Rackets founder Dalton Thieneman was an exciting three-set match. I can't really feel my legs this morning. I think we played for two and a half hours. That was a testament to the fact that neither of us wanted to lose that match, and it was great to feel pressure on a tennis court again. Nevertheless, none of you care about that. That is to say, that's why there wasn't a podcast yesterday. Super producer Daniel Westoff came and served as chair umpire. We just had a little fun here at CRHQ on Monday, but to make up for that fact, it's going to be a two-mini-break Tuesday on this episode. I want to recap last weekend's action on part two of today's episodes. I want to preview what's ahead this week, talk about the podcast content you can expect from all of us over the weekend. 
as well. Of course, before I get into anything else, I do want to remind all of you that the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. You guys know the deal. Tennis-point.com for the best equipment at the best prices. Had myself a fresh pair of wristbands, fresh set of strings in my rackets, freshly gripped rackets, all courtesy of our friends at Tennis Point. If you need anything to ensure you can achieve your maximum performance on the court, go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. You get 15% off your order free Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. And I'll say this. I can't speak for everyone. The older I've gotten, the more valuable I've realized it is to have the right sort of sweatbands on because, boy, do I schwitz like crazy nowadays. You have to have the proper socks, the proper shoes. When you're trying to play a tennis match and your shoes are essentially puddles, you're just not going to have a lot of success. So make sure you've got the best gear on to bring out your best performance. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into the action. And the place I need to start is with Annette Conteve in Ostrava. Because listeners of this show will know, I have been a longtime believer in Annette Conteve's game. I have often referred to her as the litmus test player. If you can beat Annette Conteve, you probably belong in the top 25, top 20 of the WTA singles rankings. If you can't, you absolutely do not. And the numbers bear out to that fact. And we talk about the depth in women's tennis on the WTA Tour all of the time right now, how there are you know 50 top 30 players and 75 top 50 players. Well, you look for Annette Conteve now here in 2021 She's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat, and with her win this week in Ostrava, she knocks off Maria Sakkari 6-2-7-5. All of her victories on the week, all five of them, coming in straight sets. She's up to number 23 in the rankings. To be honest, that feels a little bit low. You look at what Annette Conteve has been able to do in 2021. She's now 31-14 this season. She's winning essentially 70% of her matches, 69% if you want to be specific. And look, we say it all the time. When you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you belong. uh, You should continue to move up the rankings. When you're winning, you know, two-thirds of your ITF 120, 1.5, and 100K events in the women's game or the challenger-level matches on the men's side, you're going to move up into the top 100 100 once you start winning two-thirds of the 250s. You make a quarterfinal here, a semifinal there, maybe a title run mixed in as well. You're going to move into the top 50 of the rankings. From there, it's third round, fourth round of Masters events, and making that fourth round the occasional quarterfinal at the Grand Slams. That's been the story for Annette Conteve here in 2021. You look at her performances across the board, perhaps most impressively, is the fact that you look overall, she's lost uh, four first-round matches on the year. So again, she's played now two titles, 16 total events, only four first-round losses. One of them came in her very first match of the season against Veronica Kudermatova in Abu Dhabi. You can throw that one, in my opinion, out the window if you want, as Kudermatova ends up going to the finals of the event. Of course, Wimbledon was a three-set first-round loss to Von Drusova, who goes on to make the finals of the Olympics. In the Olympics, first-round loss for her against Maria Sakkari. In Montreal, first-round loss for her. Three sets to Jess Pegula. I missed a first-rounder. Excuse me. It was a first-round loss to her. Three sets again to Own Jabour. But you just look across the board. Again, all 14 of uh, 
of excuse me Annette Conteve's losses this season have come to players ranked at the very least in the top 50 and you look even beyond that they're all top 25 players really this season as well by rankings her lowest losses were to Veronica Kudermatova 5-1 and one in Abu Dhabi she lost a third round match to Shelby Rogers 4-3 and three in the Australian Open but we all know Shelby Rogers top 50 player if not better on hard courts and Rogers makes the quarterfinals in Australia she lost a final in Eastbourne to Yelena Ostapenko who was outside the top 30 at the time but has played top 30 level tennis down the home stretch of this season and then again you know, the losses to Jabour, Sviantek, Sakari, Pagula, uh, Sabalenka, Mertens, Kvitova, none of those are bad losses, and a lot of them came in three sets for Annette Conteve. She has been right on the cusp of making breakthrough runs, and it's all sort of come together here down the home stretch of the season as she wins the title in Cleveland, gets good wins, straight sets over Saras Tormo, over Katarina Sinyakova in that run. She then goes to the U.S. Open, beats Western and Southern Open finalist Jill Teichman before losing a really fun three-set match to Iga Sviantek, who, of course, was the number seven seed at the event. She then comes here on the indoor hardcourts of Ostrava and, again, gets wins over top 20 players in Bedosa, Bencic, Kvitova, and Sakari, all in straight sets. She also gets a really impressive 4-4 win over Serana Kirstea in round number one. You look for Annette Conteve, it's just how rock solid she is across the board. She's one of those really high floor players, match in, match out. And you look at the numbers, you guys have heard me reference it millions of times this season, the top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs, your top whatever category in both hold and break percentage according to the numbers, how frequently you're holding serve, how frequently you're breaking serve. You look for Annette Conteve, she's not elite in any category, but she's 24th in hold percentage, 28th in break percentage. She's just good at everything in the court. She's not going to beat herself. And of course, if you leave a ball in the center of the court, if you don't have the weapons to hurt her, she is someone who's capable of turning into the ball and you know moving the ball into the outer thirds, going as sex, uh, successfully hitting through the court, cross court as she is down the line. And it's not elite power on either stroke, but it's her placement on those strokes, her precision uh, with her, that placement and with the depth of her ground strokes. And she's someone who has gotten better and better on serve as well. And you look for Annette Conteve, it's not going to surprise anyone to learn career high for her this season in hold percentage she's holding 70.7 percent of the time now that actually trails her 2017 season but that was a smaller sample size so I'm going to throw that one out the window you look for her break percentage wise 37.7 percent that's a percent above her career high second highest number for her uh, in her career as well you look for her it's a not a surprise but you know she's above her career averages in both first serve win percentage second serve win percentage total points won all of this makes sense by the way as Annette Conteve is 25 years old and we are I suppose spoiled by seeing the rises of players like Osaka and Rescues, Fiontech, uh even someone like Ashley Barty were so good in their either late teens or early 20s but 
you know, traditionally that prime is 24 to 27 years old. And I think we see Annette Conteve ascending into that prime right now. You look at her records uh, by level of opponent this season. She's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat. Against opponents ranked outside the top 50, she's 17-1. and That only loss coming to Shelby Rogers, who was ranked outside the top 50 at the time of Australia, obviously after making the quarterfinals there, quickly moved into that top 50 of the rankings. But you look for her now against top 50 opponents. She's 13-13, and obviously earns the five wins over top 50 opponents here. Uh, in Ostrava, gets a win over Cerebus Tormo Teichman uh, in the U.S. Open and Cleveland as well. You look for her now against top 20 opponents this season, 6-9 and nine overall, and obviously got three wins here at this event in Ostrava. Uh, but it points to the fact that she is peaking down the home stretch of the season. And if you're making a list of players to potentially break through at the start of 2022, make a run unexpectedly. And for Nett Conteve, who will be, you know, outside a top 16 seed, uh, depending on the draw, I think second week is not only the goal, but the expectation for her heading into uh, the 2021, uh, 2022, excuse me, Australian Open, because you look for Annette Conteve at the slams of late. I mean, she's been really rock solid. You look for her overall this season. Third round, Australia loses to Shelby Rogers. Third round, Roland Garros loses to Iga Svantec. Third, uh, first round, Wimbledon, three set loss to Von Drusova. Third round, U.S. Open, three set loss to Iga Svantec. Again, she's holding seed, getting to where she should before getting knocked out by the inform, more powerful player. You look for her just overall at the slams of late. Fourth round, U.S. Open, 2020, before getting knocked out by Osaka. Quarterfinals of the Australian Open, she beat Svantec. She beat Bencic before getting knocked out by Simona Halep. She's been frisky. She's been on the cusp of a big breakthrough, and it's kind of that rigorous consistency we've seen from an Elisa Mertens, uh, just, you know, kind of match in, match out. She's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat, and when she gets to the higher level players for Mertens, she just hasn't had the weapons, hasn't had, I suppose, the... Well, really, just it really is the weapons to make things easier, easy enough for herself to beat them over the course of three sets. If you watched Annette Conteve play this week, and in particular in the final against Maria Sakkari, she was hitting the ball so cleanly. Again, off of both wings, her ability to take the ball early on the rise down the line. I have not seen Annette Conteve have that sort of success ripping the backhand cross court for winners the way she was not only against Maria Sakri, but against Kvitova in the semifinals. It was Conteve doing the majority of the dictating. Conteve, you know, keeping Kvitova in the outer thirds of the court, not letting her slap easy winners from the center third. You look for Annette Conteve over the course of the week. I mean, again, uh, during uh, her matches just overall uh, in uh, down the home stretch of that tournament. You just look at the numbers she was able to put up against Maria Sakari on serve. For Conteve, she made 78% of her first serves, won 76% of those points, 70% of her break uh, second serve points. She faced only one break point in the match, and she fought it off. I mean, that's how good Annette Conteve was. Conteve then came out, you know, firing to start the second set, and it's a credit to Maria Sakari, who was able to fight her way back, who was able to, you know, find first serves, find first forehands, and do a little bit more dictating. But whenever Maria Sakari threw a second serve in, Conteve would take advantage. Conteve would be on her front foot dictating, and, you know, the Conteve swinging volleys out of the air are actually a really impressive shot that she's able to hit, and she does have a confidence moving forward. She'll let the overhead bounce, but on an indoor hard court, you can let an overhead bounce because 
if the ball's not going anywhere, there's not going to be a gust of wind. As long as your feet are set up, that bouncing overhead strike is actually a little bit easier. And we saw Kanteve use that a bunch of times. All this is to say she's comfortable moving forward. The ground strokes are clicking from a fitness perspective. Kanteve just feels locked in. And, you know, again, dating back now to the start of Cleveland, you look for Kanteve. She's won 12 of her last 13 matches down the home stretch of this season. I mentioned 23rd for her in the live rankings. You look in terms of the race, Annette Kanteve currently 16th in the race. She's trailing 8th place Garbine Muguruza by a little less than 500 points with, you know, the Chicago 500 still in play this week. And by the way, Annette Kanteve flies straight from Ostrava over to Chicago to play this 500 because she is on the chase for Guadalajara. She wants to get back into the top 20 of the WTA rankings to end this season, wants to position herself for a top 10 push in 2022. I mean, you have to respect the hustle, the grind of Annette Conteve. And again, in terms of that race to the year-end finals with this title in Ostrava, she is very much in the mix. You want to look at the advanced metrics for ELO ratings right now. Annette Conteve currently ninth overall, of course, 2021 specific ELO ratings, which are much more a measurement of the here and now. They have her third in current form. They have her trailing just Barty and Krejcikova. They have her ahead of Radakanu, ahead of Sakari, ahead of Sabalenka, ahead of Pliskova. That may be a bit more extreme. That's probably more indicative of the fact that she is 12-1 and in her last three events with two titles, but Annette Conteve is very much in the mix. The way we saw Danielle Collins dominate before the U.S. Open and in that in-between stretch between Wimbledon and the start of, you know, the Montreal-Cincinnati uh, two 1,000-level events, that was the sort of run Collins ripped off to just remind all of us, no, 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 my best tennis is top 20 tennis. I beat everyone who I'm supposed to beat, and when I play my best, I can beat the best. That's the sort of run Annette Conteve is on right now. She's put together a three-week, four-week stretch of tennis where she's been a top 10 player. And I mean, again, it wasn't fluke wins. It's not some, you know, pushy, cushy draw. It was for her wins over Bedosa, Bencic, Kvitova, Sakari to get this title run down the home stretch. Fantastic week of tennis for Annette Conteve, but that's 12 minutes on her. That's probably more than enough. I will say... Congratulations to Maria Sakari. She's into the WTA top 10. And Maria Sakari deserves to be there. You look for her overall. She is someone who's a top 20 club member, top 20 in both hold and break percentage. You look for Sakari here uh, this season overall, career high for her in hold percentage, 72.7. And it's the sixth consecutive season that that hold percentage number has improved. She's at 40.2% from a break percentage. That's a career high by over 4%. And again, you want the specific rankings for where Sakari is in terms of the WT. TA stats leaderboard Maria Sakari, I believe, currently 17th in terms of hold percentage. Maria Sakari currently 11th in terms of break percentage. Yeah, I mean, she's been damn good. And I mean, that her fitness, everything I said about Conteve translates to Maria Sakari. The difference being, I think Sakari has a little bit more juice on that serve, on that plus one forehand more routinely. The difference was she just wasn't finding her first serve with enough success in that final, but you look for her in her 4-5 and five win over Iga Sviantek in the semis. She was the one doing the majority of the dictating, and the heavy topspin of Sviantek didn't give Sakari any issues because of her strength, because of her fitness. She was able to take that ball early on the rise, beat Sviantek to the spot, and just 
that continued development of plus one weapons, of abilities to make the points a little bit easier for Maria Sakkari because she's got the physicality to play the 15, 20, 25 shot rallies. And it was fun watching her at points in the Conteve match trying to switch things up in the final, particularly down the home stretch. She started playing heavy, loopy topspin balls to the Conteve backhand wing, just trying to buy herself some time, trying to lull Conteve to sleep and just change up the rhythm because Conteve was striking the ball so cleanly from the baseline. I loved that look from Maria Sakari. I loved her ability to change things up. Now, the second serve still hung a little bit, and against the best of the best, obviously, she's going to need to execute a high level on her first serve, but Maria Sakari's got the physical uh, talent. She's got or the physicality. She's got the weapons with her serve, with her forehand. She belongs in the WTA top 10, and you look for her right now. She's fifth in the race to the year-end finals. She's got a comfortable lead right now. She's up over 800 points, or excuse me, up about 712 points on ninth place on Jabour. If Maria Sakari would like to play Guadalajara, the spot is there for her, and she's earned it this season. You look for Sakari overall now on the year here in 2021. Obviously, the two Grand Slam semifinal runs in New York and in Paris, but 34 and 16 overall. Again, she's winning 68% of her matches. She's you know made uh, semifinals in Abu Dhabi, uh, made a semifinal in Miami, semifinals obviously in Roland Garros in New York as well. She's been outstanding. She's absolutely in the mix. You look for her her ranking against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's 15 and three against top 50 opponents. She's 19 and three against the top 20. She's 11 and seven. Yeah, that's the recipe of a player who belongs in the WTA top. Top 10. Of course, you look at the advanced metric. Sakari, fifth in overall ELO, fifth in 2021 specific ELO. The numbers say it. The eye test say it. She's been one of the 10 best players here during the 2021 season. And of course, you know, back to the point about yes, we enjoy the teenage primes. And of course, when the late teenage, early 20s success often indicates someone on path for perhaps historic levels of greatness. It's been a solid year in 2021 for the WTA players born in 1995. Of course, it's a year near and dear to my heart as that's the year I happen to be born. But you look for Maria Sakri. I mentioned the fact 34 and 16. She's made two slam semifinals, 11 and 7 against top 20 opponents. She's ranked 10th. You look for Annette Conteve, 31 and 14 now uh, against uh, on the year. Two titles, three finals. She's 5 and 9 against the top 20, but ranked number, or 6 and 9 excuse me, but ranked number 23 overall. You look for Elisa Mertens, another solid year for her, 31 and 17, a title, two finals, three and six versus the top 20. She's ranked 18th. Of course, you had an Australian Open final for Jennifer Brady as well to start this season. And of course, she hasn't been healthy really since, but that's not her fault. The point being, 25, 26 years old. That's so often when we see a player in their physical primes. And so that's something to keep an eye on when you're watching these 20, you know, these 23 and under players is even if they struggle a bit for stretches of time, they're not even 24, not even 25 years old. Of course, I, I don't think I mentioned Barbara Krejcikova, who I believe is also a 1995 or don't need to say the sort of season she's had. Obviously, the breakthrough, most improved player of the year. Good years for the 95s. And just a reminder that not every development curve is exactly the same on the WTA Tour. Of course, it is worth noting Iga Swiatek, 
good run to the semifinals here in Ostra. She beats Rubakina. She beats Putin Seva. She's now 33 and 12 in 2021. 73% uh, win percentage. You look for her uh, in terms of the race. Iga Svianta currently sixth, and she's got about a 600 point lead on Own Jabor. Not exactly locked in, but she should end up making it to Guadalajara. You look for Iga now in the rankings. I believe Svianta currently fourth. In the live rankings, that's a career high for her. 20 years old. We often forget, yeah, she just turned 20, but Iga's on, you know, she's in that Enin, Kleisters, uh, Capriati sort of tier of teenage success by the percentages. Now, obviously, the sample size is not as big, but I went through all of that in a GSP. You all can go here today. The point being, was a good run for Iga to make the semifinals here. Good run for Petra Kvitova. Wins over Potapova and Teichman. Just sort of refound her rhythm, but Kontave was just lights out in that semifinal. Again, it had more to do with Annette Kontave, I think, than anything else. You know, Bencic, Rabakina make the quarterfinals here. Good run for Martin Sova as well. Overall, just, you know, there's a reason they put three exclamation points on the court behind the letters Ostrava because Ostrava has been one of the best events in my opinion over the past two seasons whether it was last year's Sabalenka run this year uh, the run from Annette Contebe super fun event to cover uh, really enjoyed all of the action we saw unfold but of course that was one of the two WTA high level events we saw unfold last week we also had the 125k over in Columbus Shout out to Nadia Parizas Diaz, who continues to have success uh, uh, throughout this 2021 season. You look for the 29-year-old now on the year, uh, particularly of late, but just overall here in 2021. She's, well, first of all, 57-19 and 19 in her last uh, 52 weeks of play. When you have played 76 matches and you're winning 75% of them, you're doing something right. She's 51-16 and 16 here overall in 2021. Now, a lot of that has been ITF level success and she won I believe three consecutive 25k events in the start of February start of March range as well she won another 25k event in May one uh but then of course you look at her run since then she wins Bastad in uh in July and on that run to the title it wasn't you know the most loaded draw but she beats Gavrsova, Buznarescu, Claire Lou, uh Madison Inglis as well on her way to that title. From there, she goes to the 100k in Landisville on the hard courts, beats Jamie Loeb, beats Grace Min, gets a withdrawal win but a victory over Emma Raducanu nevertheless, uh beats Friedman in 7-6 in the third in the final to win the 100k in Landisville. She then goes and qualifies for the US Open before getting knocked out by in three sets by Gracheva. She then goes to the 125K in Columbus, earns the title there, knocks off the talented young Chinese woman Xin Yu Wang in the final 7-6-6-3. You look for Parisa's Diaz. It's a new career high for the 29-year-old, 73 in the world, and of course you look for her. She was someone who had had success at the ITF level. 2017, she goes 44-15, and 15, and then you know 2018 was kind of a step back for her. She was good to start the season, but just couldn't find her form down the home stretch goes 25 and 22 that year had started to regain her form 44 and 21 in 2019 and then you know of course the pandemic comes and she had just you know it it clearly disrupted her rhythm wasn't able to carry off of that success but went back down to the ITF level to start you know the end of last season wins a 15k over in Monastir Tunisia and then you know I mentioned the ITF success she had to start this season she's done it the hard way and you just have to respect the 29 year old who now is going to get to play a full season of WTA level events isn't going to have to worry about 
Grand Slam qualifying. Going to get to bank all of those checks in her age 29 season. Is going to get the chance to continue the momentum she's built here in 2021. Of course, you look at that 51 and 16 record. It is worth noting she is 49 and 11 against opponents ranked outside the top 100. That means she's 2-5 and five against top 100 opponents. So it hasn't been the most rigorous schedule uh, for Nuria Parise's DS uh, again this season. But you look overall on the year, she's beaten who she's supposed to beat. And if you're 49-11 and 11 against opponents ranked outside the top 100, you probably belong inside the top 100. You earn some repetitions at the WTA level. And again, with the events down the home stretch, will she get into Indian Wells? No maybe into Indian Wells qualifying, but she will get into, you know, a bunch of, she'll get into whatever she wants to play down the home stretch of this season. At 29 years old, that's really all you can be asking for. New career high, 73 in the world. You look for her in terms of the race this season. Uh, she is, I believe, I want to say top 100, no, 123rd in terms of points accumulated. That speaks to Again, the level of competition that she's played, but unequivocally a step forward for her. And again, now we're going to get to see her play some WTA-level matches. That's certainly something for all of us to get excited about. Of course, on the flip side, Shin Yuang, uh, the soon to be, or recently turned, happy belated birthday to her, 20-year-old uh, from China, has had a really good season here. In 2021, you look overall 27-19. and 19. She's played primarily at the WTA level, though. You know, she went down and played a 60K in Charlottesville. Ended up making the final there before getting knocked out by Claire Liu. She made a couple of quarterfinals in 100K events earlier this season as well. I believe uh, you look for her. There was the 60K uh, last week she played where she made the quarterfinals before getting knocked out by Beatrice Haddad Maya was a good week for her. Wins over Bokvadadze, Madison Brangle, Coco Vandeweghe before getting knocked out uh, in that final. And, you know, again, you look for her up to a new career high, number 119 in the live rankings. Yeah, it's not the success of the top 100 teenagers, but it's right up there. And again, you look for the tricky right-hander. I just, I just like the game she plays. Powerful, comfortable moving forward, goes big. Just again, Fun game style. Good final for her. If you haven't had the chance, go check out her game. Thought it was a good performance for Coco Vandeweghe this week as well. Good wins over Zara Zua and Leon. Honestly, a good win in the first round over Peyton Stearns as well. You look for uh, Coco Vandeweghe. It's her second semifinal since returning to action this season. She made the semifinals in Birmingham, beating uh, Buzkova, beating Tomjanovic before getting knocked out by Kasakina. She then lost four consecutive matches uh, between the end of Wimbledon's the start of the U.S. Open before uh, this run here in Columbus. And again, just gets her on the right track, heading towards the season's home stretch, heading towards, of course, much more importantly, just some momentum, find her legs here down the home stretch as we look towards 2022. But thought it was a good week for her. You look at the other semifinalist, of course. Uh, it was, I believe, Sai Zhang of China. Yeah, three set wins for her over Asia Muhammad, over Alexa Glatch, over Lauren Davis, before getting knocked out in three sets by the eventual champion. Champion. But, you know, again, fun week of action in Columbus. Of course, those were your two WTA high-level events. I want to move on now, talk about the action we see uh, saw happen on the men's side. I want to start with the action that happened in France because, 
Look, the Hubie Hercots breakout season is real, folks. You look for Hubie. He was simply spectacular on serve throughout the week in uh, Mets to win the Moselle Open. You look for him overall. Played, uh, I believe, four matches to get the title here. He was broken serve three total times. You look at the numbers on his first serve. Against Luca Pui, he wins 80.6% of his first serve points. 83.3 against Murray. 78.6 against Gojewitz. 79.4 against Carino Busta in the final. Yeah, he's six foot six. Yeah, it's an indoor hard court. But guess what? He played and displayed the sort of dominant serving you would expect from someone that size in these conditions. And you look for Hubie now on the year, or overall in his career, excuse me, it's his fourth ATP-level title. He's 4-0 and in ATP title matches. And I had the chance to ask him in the post-match press conference, which you can go here on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, uh, what is it about the big moments that seemed to bring out his best tennis, whether it was his run to the Miami final, uh, Miami title, excuse me, earlier this season, whether it was, you know, beating Medvedev and beating Roger Federer back at Wimbledon to reach the semifinals there, uh, he says, he's like, look, I enjoy playing the matches at the bigger stages. It's more exciting. It's easier to get engaged because you have the crowd behind your back and you want to put on a show. And it's very clear Hubie Hercots is a showman. And you just look at what he's been able to accomplish this season uh, here in 2021, 29 and 16 now on the year. He's winning 64% of his matches. He's up to number 12 in the rankings. That's one off his career high of number 11. But of course, you look for Hercots right now. He's seventh in the race to the year-end finals. He's got a lead now. You know, uh, you take Rafa out of the equation, he's up uh, about 80 points on 8th place Kasparud. He's up 435 points on ninth place Felix Ogier-Aliassime. He's up 500 points on Yannick Sinner. They're both, all three of them, or all of these guys, playing either San Diego or Sofia, the ATP events this week. But, you know, Hoobie's built himself a lead. As long as he doesn't lose first round in uh, San Diego, as long as he doesn't lose first round in Indian Wells, he should very likely find himself in the ATP Tour Finals. And look, I mean, again, when you've won a Masters title, you've made a Grand Slam semifinal, you've won two ATP 250 titles, the one he won here at the Moselle Open, the one he won at the start of the year in Del Rey— you're deserving of being in that conversation. Of course, there were the six consecutive losses from Monte Carlo to Hala. And that was, you know, it was a bad clay court season. There's no denying that for Hoobie. But outside of that clay court stretch, he's been in the mix at damn near every event he plays. And you look for him even during the, you know, was it a shaky loss to Liam Brody, who, by the way, won his first challenger title this week and has actually been quietly excellent. He's been like 84th, I believe, this year in terms of total points accumulated, which isn't outstanding, but he's better than his ranking would reflect. So that wasn't a great loss for Hubi in Tokyo, but you look for him in the hard court stretch. Loses to Medvedev, 7-6 in the third in Canada. Medvedev goes on to win that event, wins the U.S. Open. He loses 6-6 six and six in Cincinnati to PCB. Well, he's avenged that loss at the Moselle Open. Now, of course, the four-set loss to Seppi at the U.S. Open, that one's a little inexcusable. And, you, you know, between that loss, the six losses uh, during the clay court season, the start of the grass court season, the first-round loss to Mikhail Emer in five sets at the Australian Open, they're still low-hanging fruits for Hubie Hercots to clean up those performances early in the slams, to put himself in a position to where he does get to play the big matches because now it's a round of 16 and you're playing an Alex Virev or now it's a you know quarterfinals and you're playing a Neil Medvedev, whatever it may be. 
Hubie's a primetime performer, and I think the records reflect that fact. You look at his rankings against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Hubie's 16-8 and eight against top 20 opponents this season. He's 7-5 and five against top, you know, again, he's... 16 and 8 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's 13 and 8 against opponents ranked inside the top 50. I do think the bigger stages bring out the best Hoobie, and I do think the bigger the opponent hits, uh, the bigger Hoobie will hit as well. He is a little tennis chameleon-y, and I thought what he did so well against Carreno Busta in this match, and you know, he goes down an early break of serve against PCB. He gets that break right back, and he just kind of, you know, in, in, increases his aggressiveness. I thought he was playing far too tentative in that first set. He was six to ten feet behind the baseline. It felt like on every rally, and just letting Carreno Busta move him side to side to side and open up every inch of the court until Carreno Busta could go big with the inside in or big with the inside out forehand that he was setting up from the ad side of the court. Hoobie started to take that away from him, started taking that ball a little bit earlier, a little bit on the rise and going down the line. Obviously, he puts so much pressure on you moving forward. Uh, he is a fantastic volleyer, and he hit—I think it was on a on a, on a break point. He hits this half-volley, like drop-shot volley winner that was just exceptional to get the break. And look, I mean, Hoobie on the stretch— He's as talented as you're going to see. What he can do with a tennis racket in your hand, it's Tomic-esque and just the feel he has around the court. And, you know, again, comparing someone to Bernard Tomic, some of you may have been like, wait, did did Alex just say Tomic-esque? Well, go back and watch Bernard Tomic's feel. That's about as good as it's going to get. Now, you're not going to say many complimentary things about Bernard Tomic, but one thing you will say— elite feel just the hands the craft the knowing where to be what to do and it does feel like Hubie's anticipation skills are almost as exceptional as his movement for his size his ability to just get his racket on that extended forehand and that forehand slice he fires back at you is always going to drop just on the baseline good hands you know great drop shot lob combination for Hubie and just you know it the aggressiveness he plays with as well. He uses his length, his size, and he put a bunch of pressure on Carino Busta on the return of serve. And look, Carino Busta made 75% of his first serves in the final, and yet it didn't matter because he just wasn't able to penetrate the court with that serve enough to disrupt Hubie's return of serve. And while Hubie's a very streaky returner, you look for him overall, he's still, even with his result this week, actually he has moved up the rankings a little bit, but you look for Hubie Hercots, he still ranks 42nd in terms of break percentage amongst top 50 players. That number right now, 19.9%. He's below the 20% threshold. He's hanging out with guys like Fritz and Bublik and Lloyd Harris and Roger Federer. That shouldn't be the case for him as a returner. He's too solid off of both wings, and he's got too much length. It just feels like that number should continue to improve for Hubie, who, by the way, you look at now uh, this season for Hubie Hercots overall on the year. I mentioned the fact that he's 29-16 and 16 here in 2021, but you just look at how his numbers compare uh, historically to his performance. Career high for him in hold percentage, career highs for him in first serve and second serve win percentage. You look at that break percentage 19.3. It's only 0.2% above his career average. He's actually taken a step back from last season where he was at 22.3. And I do think the clay court season obviously played a role in that fact, but I expect that number to creep back up. I think the skill set is there for Hoopy as a returner. It's about the focus, point in, point out, game in, game out, not throwing some games away, trying some funky stuff, which is, of course, what makes Hoopy so enticing. Uh, and one of, in my opinion, the few players with a 100% approval rating uh, amongst fans who has a bad thing to say about Hoopy Hercots. And I just think there is an excitement that he plays with. But again, um, 
Hubi was excellent. Knocks off her uh, Pablo Carreno Busta seven six six three in the final to earn the title. Of course, you look for Carreno Busta. He's had an underrated season this year. You look for him overall now here in 2021, I believe. With this final, he moves to 35-14 and 14 overall in this season. That's a 71% win percentage. Bronze medal for him at the Olympics. He won titles in Hamburg and in Marbella earlier this season as well. He's made semifinals, I believe, at six different events this season. That uh, ties his career high, of course. You look for him as well. Yeah, I believe it is. Let's see. Yeah. No, no. Excuse Well, I didn't count the ATP Cup. Yeah, so six different events events this season that ties a career high for him you look at his win percentage 71 percent that's a career high for him overall I mean was it a crazy year of success for him at the slams this season third round Australia before losing to Dimitrov uh round of 16 Roland Garros before losing to Tsitsipas first round loss Wimbledon to Query that was the shaky one also first round loss to Cressy at the U.S. Open no he, he it was a disappointing year for him at the slams and a year where it felt like there were openings for him to maybe make a quarterfinal semifinal final run but I tweeted this out at the time and I'll continue to say it of the that lost generation of guys, you move Dominic Team aside because obviously he's been injured and we know what he's accomplished. But of Rayanich, Gofen, Dimitrov, Kareno Busta, even if you want to throw Nishikori on that list as well, isn't Kareno Busta the guy with the best chance remaining to win a Grand Slam? I don't think he's going to do it, but I would say yes. I think of those guys, he's the one most likely you'll see in a quarterfinal, in a semifinal, just sneaking his way there, beating who he's supposed to beat, you know, maybe getting a win over a Medvedev like he did in Tokyo or just, you know, something like that to just put himself in the mix. It's a really good year for Pablo Carreno Busta, who can... 30 years old isn't old. We've learned that on the ATP Tour. This is a guy in, if not at the tail end of his prime. Really good week for him in France on the indoor hard courts. Three-set win over Rune. Straight-set win over Gael Monfils before bowing out. Two Hubi Hercots in that final. And again, you look, Monfils, nice semifinal for him. He certainly corrected his form down the home stretch of this 2021 season. Shout out to Peter Gojewicz. He's capitalized on his performance uh, uh, at the U.S. Open, and I mentioned it for Gojewicz. You look for him now uh, in the ATP live rankings. Gojo up to number 85 right now. Puts you in the slam range. Gets you keeping and playing main draws, playing ATP level events. Of course, I mentioned this at the top. Hubi Hurkacz, first player to win singles and doubles title without dropping a set at the same event since tournament director for Roland Garros. Guy Forge won the 1991 Bordeaux singles and doubles titles. You look for Hubi Hurkacz now. This season, he joins Lorenzo Sinego as the only guys to win uh, singles and doubles titles at the same event this season. You look for him and his doubles partner, Jan Zielinski. By the way, shout out to Jan Zielinski. First ATP career doubles title for the former Georgia, Bull, uh, Georgia Bulldogs stand out. Always love to see college tennis ties. But again, it was a really fun event, the Moselle Open. Thank you uh, to the entire team, Stephanie Nadal and the entire communications team, uh, for allowing me to sit on press row. If you want to hear my questions and answers from uh, Hubi Hercots, Pablo Carreno Busta, Guy Almonfis, Andy Murray from throughout the week, you can find them all on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, of course. That was ATP event number one. There were two other high-level events uh, on the week. Want to give my brief thoughts on Laver Cup because I believe we're going to have Tennis Channels and friend of the show Steve Weissman on to talk about Laver Cup a bit uh, either on a Great Shot podcast tomorrow or on a mini break bonus episode. We'll see, but I 
just trying to work out that time. But look, it was an old-fashioned <laughs> weapon for uh, the Team Europe on uh, Team World, I suppose it's called, uh, here in, in 2021. And you look, it was 14-1 overall. And you look, it started out, I mean, from uh, from day one. Team World had their chances. There's no denying that. And, you know, they're the only dominant victory really throughout the entire weekend. I, I suppose there were two of them. Daniil Medvedev gave Denis Shapovalov the business, 6-4, 6-love on day number two. Kasper Ruud gave Riley Opelka the business, 6-3, 7-6 in singles on day one. But everywhere else was toss-ups. And the match, you're probably kicking yourself for day one FAA Berrettini. FAA had a million chances against Berrettini in that second set, and it just felt like, especially early on in the set, Berrettini, if he wasn't landing a first serve and a first forehand, if the ball, if the rally got to shot five, shot six, shot seven, it was just going FAA's way every time. He, t- he takes that first set, I believe was up in early break in there, and it just felt like he should have gotten that break early in the second, but then he didn't. And then it was crunch time, and it just felt like in crunch time throughout the course of the weekend, whether it was third set breaker for Berrettini, third set breaker for Rublev, third set breaker uh, for Zverev, third set breaker for Rublev, Tsitsipas in the nightcap doubles, third set breaker for Rublev and Zverev in day threes doubles. You look for them overall for Team Europe, uh, I believe, uh, Team Europe, yeah, Team Europe, they go 5-1 and one in the third set breakers played throughout the course of the weekend that's just that's the difference you're gonna win the tournament when you're going five and one but look I talked about my thoughts on the shenanigans surrounding ATP them blo- uh, the Labor Cup them blocking players their lack of response to uh, Alex Vera of just promoting him and making him such a central feature of this event given the allegations he faces of physical and emotional abuse from his former girlfriend Alia Sharapova um, yeah that that is one aspect, and we've talked about that already. From a tennis perspective, are you kidding me? It was outstanding because, A, this event, and it continues to make the case for team events, and again, I'm going to talk about this more with Steve, so I don't want to have to beat the same horse twice, but there's just a level of engagement from these players and excitement they play with, the energy that they play with from start to finish. You don't often see that in a first-round match, in a second-round match, just at the random ATP. I don't want to say random because we love all ATP 250s and all WTA 250s here at Cracked Rackets, but just the week-in, week-out grind. You're not going to see them do that at the Moselle Open, that energy, that passion, the level of excitement from the fans as well who brought the energy match in, match out. You just don't see that everywhere. And so, again, the energy they all play with. Zverev, you know, when Isner took that second set over Zverev, you got the goosebumps. You got the chills because John was so excited to take that match and the bench was responding to him. They're dancing and just the little nuggets you get of information listening to these players speak with one another about tactics and about, you know, again, best game styles and just, you know, the energy to play with what they're seeing out on the court. There was a conversation between Kasper Ruud and Andre Rublev that was just outstanding. We were just like, oh man, like the way they see the game, the way they're talking about it, the way Kasper Ruud's saying, trust me, wait, if you're playing down the center against, who is he playing? Let's see. He must've been playing Kyrgios. Um, no, no, no. He was playing Schwartzman. That's exactly who it was. It was the Rublev Schwartzman day one match where Rublev, uh, you know, Casper saying, hey, play Diego down the center. You give him something in the outer thirds to work with, now he's going to play you on the string. If you wait and play him through the center of the court, he will give you a short ball to attack, Andre. So just be patient and wait for that short ball, play down the center. Now, that was me paraphrasing, but that was the gist of the message. 
And that's what Rublev did down the home stretch, and it freaking worked. And you're just like, you get to hear some of the best minds in tennis interacting with one another, playing off of one another. Of course, the goofy post match press conferences, and you know. Zirov does say after him and uh, Berrettini lost that doubles match to Isner and Shapovalov, you guys aren't going to win another one. Guess what? They didn't win another one. And of course, you know, some will say, why didn't Jack Sock play the doubles rep? Well, he was an alternate. He was an alternate. It wasn't his year to play. And so, you know, again, you got to give other guys repetitions at the same time. Yeah, like Jack Sock should always be on a roster, always be playing for Team World. And are we not talking about, you know, again, four consecutive losses if this was the sort of thing happened in the nfl in the nba in baseball nhl would we be talking about a coaching change is it time to remove the McEnroe's? i know they're integral to the event i know they helped found the event and they're very very fun dynamic there's no doubt john and patrick get super competitive with borg and thomas enquist i believe is his name the other assistant and you know, again, shout out to Feliciano Lopez, who got his expenses paid for, didn't have to lift a racket all weekend long. That must have been fun. But is it time for a coaching change? Is it time to bring in a fresh face, fresh leader? Is it time to say, hey, you know what? Maybe the McEnroe's aren't working. We got to make a GM switch. We got to change uh, what's happening here because we got to assemble a different roster of talent. At the same time, I'm being facetious. I'm joking around. I mean, Team Europe what was it every player of theirs was ranked in the top 10 i believed except for feliciano lopez it was yeah literally medvedev Tsitsipas, zirev rublev kasparut berrettini all of those guys are top 10 players right now what is kasparut maybe 11th like what are we doing here at the same like that they're just their position to win the talent is in europe right now at the same time you know yannick sinner will eventually be in the mix right there he'll be competing for a labor cup roster spot but to get these sample size of matches to get to see a medvedev shapoval to get to see a Pas kyrios berrettini faa rublev versus schwartzman rude versus opelka to get to see these guys play one another in the same state or you know on this sort of stage throughout the course of a weekend from a tennis perspective, this event, I've never questioned the tennis side of Laver Cup. I see the appeal. I see the excitement. I know some people say, but it's just a glorified exhibition. Yeah, it is a glorified exhibition. What is wrong with that? What's wrong with seeing these best players compete against one another? You're never guaranteed that fact. We were super fortunate to get Zverev, Medvedev, Rublev, and Tsitsipas all into the semifinals of the Western and Southern Open. That was a really fun weekend of tennis on the Pro Tour. But of course, at this event, you're guaranteed all of them playing engaged tennis throughout the course of the weekend. And of course, are they going to kill themselves like it's a Wimbledon final? Maybe not always, but when it's that third set tiebreaker and the point is on the line, go watch all six of those third set tiebreakers. Tell me that the intensity is not there. Tell me the fire's not there. Tell me that's not just damn entertaining tennis. I thought it was. From a tennis side, the Labor Cup is always a victory. Of course, you start to wonder when can we and when, how, you know, how fast and why are we not incorporating women? At the same time, why don't the women do a separate event similar to this as well? Like, I think there's a place for all three in the world. I think Labor Cup can exist. I think Billie Jean King Cup, which is currently Fed Cup, so I suppose that's not what you can call it, but I suppose Steffi Graf Cup can exist, Laver Cup can exist, and then we have a joint Hopman Cup similar style event also in the ecosystem. I think the, the appetite for all three is there. Are there places on the calendar that we see how difficult it is to get players to play all of these events year in, year out, even when they're sanctioned points-earning events? Can you get them to play an additional exhibition? I don't know if that's the case. Nevertheless, Labor Cup, 
Super exciting, and we'll talk about it more hopefully this week with Steve Weissman. Again, that is just another highlight. We've got one more ATP 250 event to discuss. Sun Wukwan, boy, was he excellent this week in North Sultan. And I'll tell you what, on a slow, hard court, I just don't know how you're going to get a ball by him. And when you can't get a ball by him, Quan moves so well in the outer thirds of the court, so solid off of both wings. His ability to drive that backhand, it's a little bit flatter, but his ability to drive that ball both cross-court and down the line, his ability to hit the dynamic loopy forehand as well as go big cross-court, big down the line, just such a rock-solid returner. Doesn't have the most pace on serve, but again, on a court like this where it's borderline impossible to hit a winner good luck beating Sun Wukwan who you know it's it's I just I love how again how fluid he is in the outer thirds of the court I love his ability to turn defense into offense I love it it reminded me of the Mackie McDonald run at the City Open where Mackie was just so on top of it physically was so difficult for any of these players to get a ball by him and yet because he's such an electric shot maker because he puts so much pressure on you he just wears you down over the course of two out of three sets that's what he did all City Open long that's what Quan did all Nur Sultan long and you look for Sun Wu Quan it's again first title for Quan he's one of nine first-time champions on the ATP tour this season you look at the list it's a fascinating list uh we'll go by age Dan Evans the oldest I think that was a long time coming. Aslan Karatsev, breakthrough star of the season, makes sense that he's on this list. Then you get a bunch of young guys, you know, or guys in their breakthrough. Ilya Ivashka, Cam Nori, Alexi Paparin, Juan Manuel Serendolo, Sebastian Korda, Carlos Alcaraz, now Sunwoo Kwan as well, epitomizes the generational shift we are seeing unfold on the ATP Tour. Just guys who either didn't have a chance earlier in their career and have sustained, like an Advins, like, uh, you know, a guy like, well, or guys just now in the primes of their career, like Nori and Ivashka, or the youngsters who are uber-talented, like Paparin, Surindolo, Alcaraz, and, you know, Korda. It's just a really fun time to be an ATP Tour fan. You look for Sun Wukwan now up to a new career high of number 57 with this tour-level result. He's made quarterfinals on all three uh, with this title. Excuse me, made quarterfinals on all three surfaces this season. And, you know, again, first tour-level title for him, 25-18 and 18 now overall this season. Those other semifinals, he made the semis in Eastbourne, beat Fucevic, beat Ivashka before getting knocked out by Dimonauer, the eventual champion in the semifinals. He made the quarterfinals in Marbella earlier this season, beat Bagnus, beat Rune before getting knocked out by Carreno Busta. He won a challenger title earlier this season as well. Just, you know, again, he's been rock solid across surfaces. And you look for him, first round losses only came at the highest level events. He lost a first round match at the US Open to Opelka. He lost a first round match to in Tokyo to Tiafo, lose a first round match since he qualifies to Tommy Paul. Uh, Miami Masters, he loses a first-round match 7-6 in the third to Ilya Ivashka. He loses first-round match Del Rey to Sebastian Korda, who ends up making the final of that event. Quan's been in the mix. You look for his ranking again by opponent breakdown against opponents ranked outside the top 100. He's 16-7 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's 21-10, and 4-8 against top 50 opponents. But when you're 21-10 and 10 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, you belong in that conversation, in that top 75 range. And for Sun Wukwan, that's where he is now, 23 years old, going to turn 24 in December. Uh, he's not going to have to worry. You know, he's going to get into, at a minimum, Masters qualifying in 2021. Scheduling becomes a lot easier for Sun Wukwan moving forward with this late season success. And again, just 
a super well-rounded game for Quan, whether it's just you you look overall at the numbers for him. Uh, you know, it doesn't stand out in any one category. He's 21%, uh, 22% break percentage. That would be about a you know 33rd amongst top 50 players. His hold percentage, 78.4. That would be, again, around 40th amongst top 50 players. Not exceptional at any one category, but pretty good across the board. And again, just the athleticism he plays with on a quicker surface, do the players with bigger serves and bigger weapons give him a little bit more trouble? Yeah, absolutely. But on a slow, hard court like Noor Sultan, I mean, again, good luck getting the ball by him. And if he has time to strike, he is going to do damage. It's a little bit flatter, again, on that backhand wing, but really enjoy the dynamicism of Sun Wukong. First Korean ATP Tour title, I believe, in history. And so shout out to him. Always love history uh, for Kwan, again, one of nine first-time title winners here this season. Of course, shout-out to the Duck, James Duckworth, who with this victory also jumps up to a new career high, number 56 in the ATP rankings. You look for Duckworth. It's his first ATP Tour final uh, of his career. You look for him overall on the year. He was coming off of a challenger victory in Istanbul the week before. You look for him overall now on the season, 30-19. and 19. Uh, Again, the run to the final here, the run to the title uh, the week before. But, hey, when you look at that overall, he's won nine of his last 10 matches and he's put himself in a really good position. Third round Wimbledon earlier this season, round of 16 in uh, Canada as well at the Masters event. Really nice home stretch for James Duckworth and has positioned himself well, has the 29-year-old uh, to continue that success moving forward into the 2022 season. But of course, you look at the other semifinalists, Ilya Vashka, Sasha Bublik, who were perhaps two of the favorites entering the event uh, for Vashka, just again, just kind of ran out of steam against Duckworth in that three and six loss. He played such a physical three-set match in the quarterfinals against Emil Rusevori. Uh, just felt like kind of drained his legs heading into that semifinal. Duckworth recognizing that, able to make that match super physical. Again, for Sasha Bublik, I mean, he had his Sasha Bublik, Sasha Bublik. I think that win in the third had more to do with Quan because you, you always know you're going to get uh, some funky stuff during a Bublik match. But again, that's your uh, week of results in Nur Sultan. That's your other high-level ATP action. Of course, there were five challengers on the week. I want to rapid fire through each of them as we have a full ATP challenger weekly breakdown on our Monday Great Shot podcast from hosts Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro. Shout out to the Kaz, Stefan Kozlov, first challenger title victory since 2017. Uh, coincidentally, in that final, he knocked off Liam Brody, who also earned his first challenger title, period, this past weekend. You look for Kozlov, it was his first final at any event since the Futures event in 2019. You look for him overall now. He's made semifinals in two challengers in the past two months. Did it in Lexington. Uh, excuse me, semifinals isn't. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, did it in carry uh, back in July, not Lexington. That's what I had wrong. Also, Dissett in Columbus here comes back from a set deficit in his final three matches, gets impressive wins over Torpegard and J.J. Wolf. Quite frankly, just don't lose often in Columbus. He also gets a win over carry champion from last week, Mitchell Kruger in round number one. And look, I've been on the Cos wagon 
bandwagon since I've been a tennis fan. He's the best 12-year-old I've ever seen, and, you know, he was in that mix that played arguably the best Kalamazoo final in history, the five-set final he played against Francis Tiafo in 2015, and they also played in an Orange Bowl final. I believe he beat Tsitsipas in the Orange Bowl final the very next year, and Kozlov was two-time Junior Slam finalist, loses to Rubin uh, in one, loses to Alex Zverev in the other, and just... He was one of the most, if not the most accomplished junior of the 2010s in American junior tennis and, you know, again, was the youngest guy to get into uh, a first ATP win, get to an ATP quarterfinal where he did it back in Hurton, uh, I want to say in 2017 and, you know, he makes that challenger final, I want to say it was in Sacramento back in, I want to say 2015 was that Sacramento Challenger final uh, that he ended up making. Am I wrong? No, no, 2014, excuse me, when he lost to, at 16 years old, yeah, makes that Challenger final in Sacramento when he lost to Sam Query and just, you know, it felt like end of 2016 when he makes a final at the Suzhou uh, Challenger and then he wins Columbus uh, to end the season, gets a three-set win over Tennis Sangren. It just felt like, okay, here he comes. 18 years old, Coswagon is here, you know, reached his career high of number 115 in 2017, but then have had injuries play a huge role in his story. And the guy, he's a guy who played so much tennis early in his career. And, you know, again, he's a guy who's always had the skills. His feel, second to none. There was a lot of tomage in Stefan Kozlov. Just, again, the way he's able to play slice, his ability to turn defense into offense. You always think he's not going to track that ball down. Then he does track it down. The drop shots, the lobs, the serves and volleys. He's not a guy with overwhelming power, but just rock-solid backhand. And, you know, he's continued to play with the serve, with the forehand. But they've continued to get better. And you just look for Kozlov most importantly he just looks confident right now he just looks poised and you weren't always able to say that even when he was having success early in his career because look there have been a lot of expectations on Stefan Kozlov because he had so much success as a junior and just you know it's worth remembering he's still only 23 years old and to get this challenger title he's back up into the top two uh, top 300 number 251 right now that's going to put him you know back into the mix for challengers instead of futures events and back into the mix for grand slam qualifying and just you know get him back at the level where he needs to be competing and of course again I'm a huge believer in Kozlov's game. I do think the better the opponent, the better the Kozlov. I do think now that he's 23 years old, the physicality. I do think he's a guy who's always been a good mover, good anticipation. While he may not have elite quickness, I don't think he's ever struggled with his movement. I do think in terms of the power on serve, in terms of just making things easy for himself, plus one forehands, yeah, that's never been his bread and butter. That's never been his instinctual gear to turn is to play that sort of level of power tennis you need to have to be a top 100 guy consistently. But the physicality, I think, is starting to get there. And again, all of the skills are there as well. He's a guy who can do a million different things on court. It, I think it translates across surfaces as well. I said going into the year this was my last Kozlov season. If you go back, listen to the tapes with Judson Wall when we were talking about the Americans heading into the year. And by the way, he laughed at me when I said 14 Americans were going to end the season in the top 100. Check the tape. Check the tape. That's all I have to say. But I said this was my last season. I said I needed to see something from Kozlov this year. Just a little reminder of his talent, a reminder of what he's capable of. He showed it in Columbus. This was a really impressive run to the challenger title. And again, good win for him over Purcell in the final. Fantastic win over JJ Wolf in the semis. And it was a really good tournament for Wolf, particularly to get, you know, the seven six in the third win over 
practice partner Tennis Sandgren in the quarterfinals. He, you know, wins that first set against Kozlov, continues to compete even when he could tell physically he was starting to lose it down the home stretch of the third. But again, it's a really good performance from him, really good performance from former Illinois All-American Alex Vukic, who makes the semifinals of this event, gets a win over Alex Bolt, gets a win over Cannon Kingsley as well on his way to that semifinal before getting knocked out 6-6 six and six by Purcell. But you know, again, he was able to hold serve at pace and just I thought he served really well all week long. But it was a really fun week. Always great to have American Challenger action back in play. Shout out to the Cosman back into the top 300. He is your winner in Columbus, of course. He is one of the many impressive performers on the week. How about 19-year-old Yuri Lachetchka, who will also be the topic of a podcast later this week? I'm recording with Damian Koos. Damian also wrote an article on the 19-year-old Czech's ascendance here in 2021. One, but for Lechechka, I mean, he was dominant all week long. Doesn't drop a set in the quarterfinals, semifinals, or finals in victories over Nicolas David Lionel, uh, top seed Stefano Travaglia, uh, or Philip Horansky in the final. And just the power tennis he's able to play from the baseline. I've I've said this before, and with this victory, by the way, the 19-year-old up to a new career high of number 177. You look at what he's accomplished this season, two challenger titles in a 56-18 and 18 run. He's won 76% of his matches, over 74 total matches. He, you know, has now won challengers, I believe, on both hard courts and clay. He made another final on a challenger uh, in Poznan, uh, Poznan, excuse me, before getting knocked out by Bernabeza Pata Morales. You consider the fact that he started this season at the 15K level, winning uh, a, a futures event over in, uh, I believe it was Egypt, and then, you know, having to play qualifiers at challengers, coming through them to make semifinals, playing, you know, 25Ks, winning those events. He's done it the hard way, and he's won at each and every stage that he started to play at this season 2022 he's another guy to circle potential breakout candidate he's been outstanding this season you look at his numbers across the board uh you just look overall for Lechechka you know he's holding serve 80.7 percent of the time this season at the challenger level breaking serve 20.8 28.9 percent of the time again you have to adjust for competition but if you compare that to top 50 metrics you know, once you're over that 80% threshold, you're about a top 30-ish server. When you're over the 28% threshold as a break, you know, that's a top 10 number. And so you see the return skills. I do think it's Marcos Giron with a little bit more pop from the baseline. We've seen Giron establish himself across surfaces as a top 75 player. I think that's Lechechka's future as well. You like both wings. You like the kick he's able to produce on his backhand. He's got a comfort level. Uh, excuse me, on his serve. He's got a comfort level moving forward as well. And again, he will be the subject of a podcast later this week, but was really impressed by him on his run to the title over in Bucharest. Of course, you look at some of the other title runs. How can you not feel good for Liam Brody? First challenger title in his seventh challenger final. You look for the 27-year-old, ranked 139 now in the rankings overall. You look for him on the season uh, for Liam Brody. He's now won. Again, uh, he's now, I believe, super successful year for him overall, up to number 139 in the rankings. That's two off his career high of 137. You look for him 40-21 and 21 here in this 2021 season. He's won 66% of his matches. You look for him overall by round. He's made three challenger finals, gets the title here. He's made six different semifinals, seven quarterfinals across the season in now 22 total events. There's a reason 
he's moved up the rankings and you look for him again 126 is a career high for Brody you look for him in the race to the year-end finals he's not going to qualify but he's 90th in points accumulated this season he's been a top 100 guy and that's a metric he can look in the mirror and say to himself you were that good this season yeah as you press on you know it's time for the ATP level because he's proven he can do it across surfaces in the challenger ranks really impressive win for him 7-5-6-3 over Mark Andre Hoosler in the final Hoosler had a nice win 6-4 in the third over Timmy Van Richeven, uh Ritovin excuse me in the semis and obviously it was a good run for 2020 junior French Open champion Dom Stricker second semi finals for him of his career at the challenger level as he gets knocked out by Brody six love two love before he's forced to retire but again for Stricker I think he's another guy you circle as a potential breakout star during the 2022 season the young lefty just really really uh great firepower talented game of course again your two other challenger winners on the week Tico Montiero 7575 over Nikola Miljovic Miljovic has had a really solid season as had Montiero those are two guys who are going to be fighting for top 100 top 75 spots in my opinion come 2022 of course you look at your final challenger result of of the week nice result first uh challenger title for former world junior number one Diego Tarante you look uh for I believe I want to say the 20 year old yep 20 year old out of Argentina he's up to number 204 in the singles rankings that's a new career high for him he knocks off top seed Juan Pablo Varias who by the way the 25 year old from Peru up to number 117 in the live rankings that's also a career high I mean Tarante's been excellent over the course of this season, you look for him overall on the year now for, again, the 20-year-old former world junior number one. He's 33-17 and 17 this year, won 66% of his matches, has made challenger finals, uh, I believe, in Triste, now in Ambato as well. So, again, multiple challenger finals, multiple semifinals for him on the year. Again, he's played 18 total events. He's made the semifinals in four of them. He's made the quarterfinals in six of them. He belongs in the top 200. He belongs in the mixed Grand Slam qualifying. Now, you need to see him play probably more on hard courts than anything else, and you look for him this season overall by surface on clay courts Diego Torante 25 and 13 on hard courts just 8 and 4 you're definitely going to need to see him play more repetitions on that surface but he's a top 125 guy on clay and if we see him you know there's always a South American star during that South American clay court stretch at the start of the season you circle a guy like Diego Torante to make that sort of jump be a Juan Manuel Serendolo be a Francisco Serendolo type player next season of course I will always give a shout out to Juan Pablo Varias because he and I share a birthday and that's my guy and so, you know, 36 and 24 over his last 52, uh, 34 and 17 here this season. You look for him overall in terms of challenger finals made now. He's made two of them. He's made semifinals at the challenger level, I believe, now uh, this season on five different occasions, three different finals. Again, you know, he's been excellent this year, I believe. Se- uh, seven different quarterfinals, up to number 117 in the ranking. Now, he's another guy you're going to need to see play more on hard courts. He's 34 and 14 on the clay, 0 and 2 on hard courts. Uh, but yeah, I- I'm going to need to see uh, a, uh, this season, I'm going to need to see more of him on other surfaces. But if you give him time to whack that forehand, you give him time. I mean, I think all of the fluidity, I suppose when 
you know, I guess this is how it works. October 6th, two babies come out of the womb. It's me and Juan Pablo. And, you know, the gods were like, well, we can bless one of them with fluidity and we can bless one of them with a very fluid mouth. They were like, let's give Juan Pablo the fluidity. Let's give Gruskin the fluid mouth. I suppose I'm appreciative of that fact. But shout out to my main man, Juan Pablo Burias, making that final uh, run over in Umbato. Of course, those are your challenger results quickly on the ITF notes because I know we're running long here. But again, that's my gift to you guys. It was an exciting week of action across the professional tennis world. You look over in Fort Worth, Kaya Kanepi, top seed. No surprise that she ends up winning the title. Two and one victory for her over Kayla Day was pushed to three sets by Brozovic in the semifinals. You look for Kayla Day, though. It's a nice result for Day, who you just look overall has not had, uh, you know, again, Kayla Day was someone who was in that mix very much with uh, the CC Bellises of the world and the Sonia Kennans of the world as a junior. And you look for Kayla Day now uh, throughout the course of this 2021 season. By the way, Kayla Day still only 22 years old, I believe. I think it's actually her birthday today. Happy birthday, Kayla Day. Uh, 13 and 9 here this season. It's just had so many injuries over the course of her young career. And unfortunately, we just haven't gotten to see her really really flex her stuff but you know she was one of the top juniors over the course of the years and the lefty with a two-handed back and it's just a different game style and for her really impressive wins over Kessler over Vickery over Carla before getting knocked out by uh, Kanepi in the final you look for her in terms of finals she's made in her career uh, for Kayla Day that's her first final since February 2017 do you know who she lost to in February of 2017 Bianca Andrescu You're about to see this tweet, so be on the lookout for it. Um, Yeah, it's a really nice run for her over in Fort Worth. No surprise, Kanepi wins the title. Also, super impressive one. For World Junior number one, Jun Chung Shang, you look for World Junior number one. First pro circuit main draw, first pro circuit title for the 16-year-old from China. He was so impressive all weekend long. Three and five win for him over Champagne finalist and potential college number one. Adrian Boitan in the semifinals was a 3-0 and win over seventh seed Max Whitehouse as well. Earned a third set win over fourth seed Toby Kodot. Got a win over Finn Bass as well. I mean, he was just excellent. And again, 16 years old oozes with talent. It's a really impressive win for the world junior number one. Speaking of uh, former top college guys, shout out to Alistair Gray. Won a second 25K title in Johannesburg in two weeks. Beats Pervalorakis in a three-set final. You look for Alistair Gray now with these results. I believe Alistair now 400 in the rankings. I believe that's a little bit off. Is that his career high? Let's see. For Alistair Gray, it is not his career high. Oh, no, no, no. That's in the race. Excuse me. He's 400 in the race. There we go. Currently number 590. That is a career high. I was going to say it had to be a career high for Alistair. 23 years old. I could see him getting into that top 400 range. Very, very quickly, but nice result for Alistair. And then, of course, got to give a shout out to Anna Rogers, the former All American NC State standout, earns her first pro singles title as she beats Christina Roska of Vanderbilt, class of 2021, 6076, to win the 15K in Cancun. You look for Anna Rogers now with this result. She will move all the way up. Let's see, Anna Rogers, come on, come on. Not even in the top 1,000 yet. Interesting. And that speaks to, again, how difficult it is to freaking accumulate points right now. But it's a really nice win for Anna Rogers uh, to earn that title at the 15K again and just 
speaks to how exciting that tennis is. There's always something fun to follow day in, day out, week in, week out. Uh, so, you know, if you're not following the ITF Tour results, you really should be, and I'm going to do a better job of informing all of you what's happening at that level here on the mini break moving forward. But that's where things stand after an exciting championship weekend. Where to begin? The better question might have been where to end for this podcast. I think we're going to end things here. Of course, again, if you miss any of our content from Press Row at the Moselle Open, you can find all those from the Pressers on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, Challenger Recaps every Monday from Damien Kustanyaka Babro on the Great Shot podcast feed. Be on the lookout for some fun Great Shot podcasts. This week, we're going to look at the history of teenage success on the WTA Tour Talk Laver Cup, excuse me, with Steve Weissman. Have some other fun as well. So, be on the lookout for all of those podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Of course, you can find them all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that set for super producers fliegner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will talk to you all tomorrow or later today excuse me thanks everyone 